Welcome to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. Bringing more business to Baltimore. That's the goal for the new president and CEO of the Greater Baltimore Committee. This episode of the Free to Be More podcast, we talked to Mark Anthony Thomas about the opportunities and challenges the city faces and how we move into the future. Mark Anthony Thomas, thank you so much for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, and I just want to give you the opportunity to kind of introduce yourself for people who don't know who you are and don't know about your background. I know you're new-ish to Baltimore now, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I've been in Baltimore roughly around eight months, and I grew up in Atlanta when I was born in Michigan. And through my childhood, I developed this passion for cities, economic development issues, and spent the first part of my career really as a creative person shaping ideas and content around those issues and i've spent the last decade plus working in multiple american cities new york los angeles most recently pittsburgh before coming to baltimore to lead the greater baltimore committee and so with the merger last year of the economic alliance with the gbc it allows us to re position the GBC to be a central driver of economic opportunity while working collaboratively with the 400 plus members that we have to solve some of our civic issues. One of the things that you sort of touched on is you really do have a diverse career background. I know there's some journalism in there. Talk to me about how you feel like some of those experiences could play into your success as the CEO of this organization. Well, for one, communications become so important and You'll hear that if you have like thousands of hours of experience doing something that you become really good at it. Uh, Assume that I've been writing and trying to communicate my thoughts since I was 14. And so what that means is people will hear a lot from me and from the GBC because I'm hiring and building a staff of people who really value the case making um, skill around the issues that we want to promote. And so you're going to see the GBC really being super aggressive in how we build consensus around our ideas. Yeah, I'm a recovering journalist myself. So I always like to highlight how that profession kind of gives you a really rich background. So what is it about Baltimore that made you want to come here? Because Baltimore is interesting. If you've worked in a a number of cities, you don't want to just take on a new cause unless it has some meaning to it, at least if you're in our field, in the economic development field. And for a role like the GBC, they don't necessarily post that role. (laughs) You generally hire a search firm that identifies candidates that would have a strong interest in taking a leadership role here. And so for me, when this opportunity was presented, I was excited of the things I had done in my career, but I view this as a capstone opportunity where I thought I could make a lasting impact here, but also really make an impact in a way that could be valuable to communities all over the world that struggle with the issues that we have to solve. That was the main driver. Also, frankly, wanted to be closer to my family and friends. Mm-hmm. And Maryland's just in a really good location for that. So it just it hit on all these different things that were perfectly timed. 
are there experiences that you've had in other cities? Um, is Baltimore facing some of the same challenges that you were up against in Pittsburgh, in New York, in Atlanta, in some of these other cities that you've worked in? And what are some of the lessons that you learned there that you feel like you could bring to Baltimore? Yeah, so I'll just speak to each city and, and what I think I learned in each one that's valuable mm-hmm. to what I'll do here. One, Atlanta is very ambitious. And growing up there and watching the city pursue the Olympic Games, and watching the city redevelop its neighborhoods and grow from two plus million people population in my childhood to over six million in this metro now, there's a level of intentionality required in making that transformation happen. And so I don't look at a place like in Baltimore or any other communities where there's been stagnant growth and believe that that has to be the future. Mm-hmm. When you're in the big cities, they're operating at such scale that you don't think small at all. And so having done economic development and then being on the media think tank side of work in New York, every idea that you're proposing is about creating thousands of jobs or pursuing billion-dollar projects. And to some extent, the markets that have millions of people and we're one of those have to function in the way that the big global markets operate. And so I feel like I learned that in the deepest level in New York. And my time in Los Angeles was spent problem solving around economic issues in LA, but it was still the same level of scale required to make the impact I want to see. I think in Pittsburgh, it's a little different because Pittsburgh fell so hard. Like very few places fell as hard as what happened to Pittsburgh after a steel collapse. And it wasn't just a city. It was a 10-county region that I served. And really positioning multiple manufacturing towns that were heavily impacted by disinvestment and blight and vacant housing to then create opportunity for them to redevelop those communities and see life again at a whole different scale was one thing that I learned pretty deeply there in the collaboration required to make things happen. And and so what you're going to see is really an ambition from Atlanta, a level of scale that I learned in New York and LA, and a hope that you can make an impact that I learned in Western Pennsylvania, really blend to create a different kind of leader for the GBC. This is a very sort of simplistic question, but I think everybody hears the GBC, sees the GBC in the news. It is an organization that's been in Baltimore for quite some time. But what do you see as really the mission? Like for someone who doesn't really know what the GBC is, what is the GBC? People should really view us as the entity that's shaping the future economy for the region. And that hasn't been as front and center as it will be seen in the next year or so. And Mm -hmm. so people will know, they may not be able to frame it in that way. They'll know that we're trying to create jobs and they'll know that we're trying to create new industries and that we're trying to see growth and do so in an inclusive way. The other piece is the problem solving. So that's what the GBC was founded among a, a set of other organizations across the country was to bring business leaders and bring civic leaders together to solve big challenges. And Baltimore has plenty that we can tackle. And and I've mapped out a few that we collectively have agreed to prioritize. What is top of that list for you? First, we actually have to have an economic plan to grow our region. And 
obviously the governor's been speaking a lot about this recently that Maryland's growth is pretty stagnant. Mm-hmm. That's been clear if you follow economic trends across the country that Baltimore in particular hasn't grown much. And so we have to at least provide that leadership from a public perspective and from a private sector perspective on what we think are the right paths to see that growth. With that, it touches a lot of different things. This literally mapping key industries is creating a brand that we can use to really change the way that people think about Baltimore region nationally and internationally, which prevents people from believing they can build a business here or they can move here to work for all the companies that have great jobs here. So all of those components that will get us to a growth economy, people will start to see them gradually roll out through the GPC. Mm-hmm. The second bucket of stuff will be around transportation and infrastructure. Our peers across the country play leadership roles in shaping how transportation is funded and the types of transportation is pursued. And obviously with the trillion dollars in infrastructure, it's a huge opportunity for us to get our fair share. And the last bucket is on all things tied to collaboration. And we've mapped out a slate of things, including addressing the vacant house issue, which impacts obviously mostly our black communities in the city, but also working with the police department on a few public safety goals. So I feel like we've mapped out a pretty good plan that will start to change how people view the GBC's impact long-term. You mentioned a little bit the merger between the GBC and the Economic Alliance. How has that sort of changed the way this organization will operate? Well, it definitely brings the economic focus central to the GBC. If we were just only civic, it would have been less of a focus. But when you have two organizations that kind of have economic development as central and you merge them, then it allows me to really go full speed with that being the priority. But how we show up nationally and how we show up internationally, people will then see one organization really driving that vision, at least from a regional perspective. Obviously, the city and the counties and different jurisdictions have their own focus, but regional opportunities are just at a different scale. Need help with SNAP benefits, mental health resources, utility assistance, and more? Social Worker in the Library is here to help. Social workers and social work interns are available at select Pratt locations to assist customers. Find out more at prattlibrary.org. I want to dig into some of the goals that you had mentioned. First of all, the economic strategies, sort of developing a 10-year strategy plan. Where does that start? Like, how do you even begin to start? Is it an assessment of where we are now? How do you start planning that far in advance? Well, so we actually have hired a firm out of Texas, TIP Strategies, that's going to work with us through a six-month process and all the stakeholders who really are active at the GBC. And assume that we have every existing report and strategy doc that all of the jurisdictions that we serve have published. And then we really need to map that with where we project the economy is heading. And Mm. we have a better sense post-COVID where we think things are. A lot of states and regions have already gone through this process in Mm. 2020 and 21. But it was kind of clear then that there was some disruption that would be permanent 
And, and what we need to do is really then map out, okay, how do we get to a place where we're growing not 10 times less than the national average? <laughs> like what are the industries we need to stand up? What are the types of jobs that we need to prepare our population for? How does workforce fit into that plan where there's gaps? Like all of those things and those questions are solved and will be solved through that six-month process. And then it gives us a, a playbook to then determine how we collaborate, what we advocate for, what we pursue from a business investment standpoint or foreign direct investment strategy. We'll all source back to that 10-year plan. And I have been fortunate to have worked on 10-year plans both in Pittsburgh and in New York, seeing how the process comes together and the impact it can have as far as really creating some framework for a strategy to pursue. What do you think is one of the key pieces that would draw more businesses to Baltimore? Like what are the things Baltimore, where we have a lot of opportunity in our city versus, and what are some of the challenges that we face with drawing businesses here? The thing is, assume that the city and the region are a lot greater than people realize. Mm-hmm. As far as just the attractiveness of our neighborhoods and the people and the talent pool and the types of businesses are here. It's been a pleasure just kind of being a part of it. Mm-hmm. That message is not the message that the world sees. And so it is a pretty developed ecosystem of people who advise companies and entrepreneurs where they set up. Obviously, you have a ton of press that dictate and shape how people think about which markets they should be investing in. We really haven't tried to inject our perspective in that messaging. Mm -hmm. And so the branding piece is clearly, to me, the biggest challenge that we need to transform how we show up in culture. And I think we can do that, even though it may take some time. So to me, that is like the biggest area. I think the biggest, it's almost like the biggest opportunity and the biggest challenge in one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we obviously have like issues that people do write about that we're making progress on. And so the way we're going to talk about the broader regional brand is not just touting Baltimore in our region for what it is but also showing that there are people who really care about our market, who are working to reduce crime, who are working to redevelop neighborhoods, who are working to address the issues that tend to be the front page story that people see on us. Mm -hmm. And you have a unique perspective in that you sort of come from other cities. So you're able to see how Baltimore is viewed sort of as an outsider, as opposed to an insider, How much work do we have to do on that brand identity? I have lived here 10 years. And for that entire 10 years, I've heard about how much the brand identity of Baltimore needs to change. Yeah, there hasn't been, even if people say there's been an effort, it it hasn't been an effort in the way that markets shift Mm -hmm. their perception. I'll say that. So I think that's, (laughs) that's the reality. And so I think we're at ground zero, where no one has handed me since I've been here a booklet that says these are the ways you talk about Baltimore that actually Mm -hmm. changes how people think about us. These are the images. These are the messages. These are the economic principles and the vision we have. Like that is what a brand looks like Mm -hmm. when it reaches an individual person. And Mm -hmm. so 
we have to build all of that and then actually deploy the message. And so obviously Pittsburgh, I led their recent brand effort that was really about changing the perception of it being obviously the steel city, you know, that's mm-hmm. permanent <laughs> analogy for Pittsburgh. But sure. when people think about the market, they think about robotics, they think about it being reinvented. They think about all the new st- stuff. And I oversaw that brand effort in my previous role. Mm-hmm. But there's a ton of interviews and multiple languages and just a whole machinery that was built to make that impact. And we have to have a similar infrastructure here in other markets across the world, whether you're Helsinki or Tokyo or Cape Town, they all follow this playbook. In the eight months you've been here, where do you see the greatest opportunities in Baltimore? I know we've got incredibly strong medical facilities. We have investment in Baltimore Peninsula and Harbor East. Um, Where are some of those opportunities that we think we could really capitalize on as we're building this brand message? What's funny is not, assume that the, in my mind, the industry piece comes second. Okay. is that we are actually a, a dynamic, cool city with a lot of talent needs to be the the, the high level message. Mm-hmm. And that's the message that people lose. <laughs> like no one thinks when you think of Austin or Miami or all these cool cities that are booming, you don't naturally think of Baltimore in that light. And we can change that because we actually do have the goods and the authentic message that speaks to that. Mm-hmm. We have everything you want in a great market. And there is a portion of growth that is shared among, say, the top 25 markets that we have not gotten an equal share of that. Then you get into the industry level work, right? And that's life sciences, is cybersecurity, is artificial intelligence, is all these other areas that then become the secondary message after you determine that this market is awesome for me. Mm-hmm. And that's what distinguishes, say, a college town from a metro, right? Mm-hmm. Like college town can be focused in kind of one area, but you don't see thousands of people moving there because of that, right? Sure. For us, we have to be a metro that's dynamic first. And I think we can deliver that. And we also have some pretty cool industry stuff underway that will also be a deal sealer for people who really need to see that. See some of the top writers and speakers in the country for free at Pratt Library. Pratt Writers Live and the Brown Lecture Series have a robust set of speakers. Don't miss out on your favorite writer, artist, actor, and more. Check out the schedule and register today at prattlibrary.org. We've talked about some of the challenges facing Baltimore, but one is the declining population. What are some of the strategies or initiatives that you think could be effective in reversing that trend and really attracting more people to this region? To me, we're still unpacking like what's contributing to that. But in for early numbers, I believe, deal with the state of some of our just invested communities. And so the vacant house issue is key to transforming that piece. Well, obviously, you see a lot of growth in key neighborhoods, but you see population decline in others. But mm-hmm. the decline can't be greater than the growth. And I think that negative number is a reflection of that. So we have to really look at a whole city approach to growth and opportunity and investment in order for people to, to see that number change. Mm-hmm. Assume that the scale of blight that Baltimore City at least has 
suppresses the entire market. And, and that is one of the reasons why the vacant house issue is something we're partnering closely with a number of stakeholders to see an impact on. Mm-hmm. What are some of those action steps that you're able to take when it comes to blight? Because that's been a problem in the city for so long, and there's been a lot of plans to alleviate it that just haven't come together. Yeah. So the plans that have happened, this goes back to my New York LA experience around scale. Mm-hmm. They haven't been executed at a citywide level mm-hmm. or regionwide level or statewide level. And that's that's the way that we have to confront the magnitude of the problem of vacancy in the city. So the way we've framed it is that there are four key areas that we need to solve for. One is how do we finance something that is a large enough impact that it won't be a pilot here or a pilot there? Mm-hmm. The second um, is how do we how do we manage sites that are blighted and get them back into the market so where they're functional and contributing to the tax base? The third is you have a number of great community development organizations on the ground. How do we scale their best practices so that you can have others who are actually driving development across all of the city's neighborhoods that are are underinvested? And the last is, if we were to have this level of construction or growth, how does the workforce system feed into that? Mm -hmm. And when you look at a functional market like in Asheville or Charlotte, all four of those things are are functioning well. And that's Mm -hmm. the market dynamic that we need to fix here. One of the other things that the GBC seems to be really tackling head on in that collective impact category is public safety. Um, And one of the first positions you hired for was a public safety data officer. So explain to me what that position is and why it's so integral to your organization. Yeah. So it was, it was almost like a precursor to a new focus to be research driven for our policy and collective impact work. And We've identified with the former commissioner and the incoming commissioner that gun violence and officer retention and recruitment would be the two areas that we really try to understand the data around, but also be in a place to where we can collaborate on solutions that help them create safer communities. So what you're going to see is, at least for our members, they're going to get regular data and analysis and our own perspective on the things that we're seeing and the trends that are happening real time. But from our members, whether they're on the philanthropic side and they want to fund key initiatives, if they're businesses that actually have best practices that can help on recruitment and retention, we want to leverage all of that expertise and those resources to ensure that public safety is a all hands on deck strategy and not just one that we're leaving to the city or to the public sector to solve. It's interesting. You have this unique opportunity to really build out the staff of the GBC. So besides the public safety data officer, are there other key positions that you're filling to work towards that collective impact to rebrand Baltimore? Yeah. So I've already had to rebuild the organization from when my when the former CEO retired. Mm-hmm. Um, so I built out a partnerships team that will work really closely with our members to understand the things that they care about and shape how we address the agenda that we've set and continue to evolve that work. Mm-hmm. With our policy and research team, I just hired Jennifer Vay, who's coming on board from Brookings. 
who's worked across the country on Metro strategies, and she'll be able to really provide leadership on how we address, how we think in a bold way around all the big ideas that we want to put forth. Um, created an chief economic officer role that Pulthik Chatterjee, and he's led the effort around our tech hub bid and future projects that require a lot of collaboration to make big things happen. And our communications team literally will be shaping the brand initiative for the Baltimore region. So I've tried to put in an organization that is designed around executing on behalf of our members, but really has a lot of intelligence and expertise in the areas that they're leading. One of the other key goals that you've talked about is surrounding transportation and infrastructure. How much is really a lack of reliable public transportation holding Baltimore back? It, it contributes to just the broader lack of economic growth. There's obviously a lot of uh, supporting the relaunch of the red line. But when you step just a level above that, our entire transportation system should be supporting our economic growth and connecting people and connecting communities to each other. And that will be a major part of our work for the next few years. So even if we get the red line authorized and funded, we won't stop there. There'll be transit-oriented development. There'll be other improvements that can be made to connect people to where the job centers and also connect all of us into communities that have been disinvested where we can actually go support business and small business growth in those communities as well. So it will be a vision to ensure that the system works well for all of us. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you say the red line, because I do think about it in the way that like, it's only really one line of what could be a much bigger transit system for Baltimore. How difficult is it when you're sort of pitching businesses to come here when we don't really have a way of getting workers from one place to another that is consistently reliable. Yeah. And I haven't, since we haven't gotten to that work yet with the new mm-hmm. GC, I haven't seen how it plays out. You know, the governor and commerce have talked about that. I have seen though, just in my past working on hundreds of bids for companies that are expanding or growing. It is one of the top issues. and especially if you're on the manufacturing side, because mm-hmm. a lot of growth in manufacturing is not necessarily in transit accessible areas. And so you generally see bus infrastructure put in place to connect thousands of workers in a timely matter to those stations or high dense residential areas so that people can create a thousand jobs here or 2000 jobs here. And mm-hmm. so you'll see us play a heavy role in, in trying to understand how to do that effectively. Mm-hmm. Just talking about you and your career, what is some of, I guess, like the best advice you have received about leadership and about taking on big tasks like this? One, be fearless. <laughs> no, if anything, I would say this. It's less about one set of advice that I've received versus I grew up where I grew up in Atlanta, I was very fortunate to just have access to a lot of the civil rights leaders who were still living. Mm-hmm. And in my late teens or early 20s, meeting everyone from the people who integrated the University of Georgia, which is where I went to undergrad, to Constance Baker Motley, who 
would have been the first black woman Supreme Court judge mm-hmm. to Maynard Jackson was the first black mayor, people like that. I learned more resilience from all of them. In some way, when I look at what they faced, uh, what they were able to do despite the challenges they faced, very few things break me or, or scare me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think that's why I've chosen this line of work. In addition to it being a passion, you also have to, I wanted to pursue something that I thought I'd be better at than others. And I think the type of work that we're doing requires such a collection of skill sets to be effective. And my hope is I provide that leadership for the GBC and people see where it all comes together mostly. How will you plan to sort of measure the success of the organization and what kind of lasting impact are you hoping to make in Baltimore? Yeah, so on the first, we'll set annual multi-year goals. So for each of the goals that we've set in our multi-year agenda, which is a three-year plan, for all 12 initiatives, I want people to see, you know, they put out a 10-year plan and we're working toward it. They launched the brand and we see progress toward it. And so we'll monthly give people a progress report of where we're heading. To me, the lasting impact will be felt on a global scale. If we can collectively change how Baltimore appears, how the numbers reflect growth, how the numbers reflect inclusive growth, which is tracked by a number of think tanks and institutions, then to me, that's success. Mm -hmm. I want the wire to be fictional for the next generation and not be a reality to people feel here. And to do that, it's going to take a lot of hard work, but it's doable work. Just sort of on the fun side of questions, uh, you have been here just eight months. What are some of the things that you're really enjoying about Baltimore? I love the food scene. Yep. (laughs) I also like being by the water. I tell friends, I feel like I'm on, I live in a vacation city without the tourist. (laughs) <laughs> just because so much of like the way people live in Maryland is a calming element that just feels built into our environments, at least when you're in the parks or in the water. And I love that. Uh, I'm enjoying connecting with the art community. You know, I want to spend more time supporting it. So I've really had a blast being here so far. Like even if I didn't work here, or was just here for a week. It would actually be a fun place to hang out. It's definitely a very vibrant city, and we wish that more people outside of it knew that. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's, like I said, that's the stuff that we can change. We're not building it from scratch. It's more of ensuring that the success in the stories here, which are actually national in their significance, that we make sure that they get the attention they deserve. And then the last question I ask a lot of people is, what gives you hope for the future in Baltimore? Well, because we don't really have a choice. We have to actually make progress. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like if we don't, then we failed. Mm-hmm. So what gives me a hope is that there's so much passion that I see from business leaders, from our elected officials, from the nonprofit leaders. Like there is no shortage of passion. We just need to harness it toward the right things. And that makes me excited. Mark Anthony Thomas, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Go back to school with the Pratt Library. 
The Pratt offers free online homework help, tutoring, free resources, and more. Students can even check out a Chromebook and Hotspot with their library card. The Pratt is here to help you make the grade. Details at prattlibrary.org. I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow the Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another Free to Be More conversation. Thanks for listening.